0: I'm delighted to see you return once again to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we've got a special tale to be told. And this tale starts with a small book. As we take this off the bookshelf, we flip... Through the pages, you might find uh, various short fables, woodcut illustrations, and these stories speak in a religious manner but feel very dark indeed. This book goes without name, but it is integral in a new film on the streaming service Shudder. So let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at Shudder's The Last Thing Mary Saw. The Last Thing Mary Saw, released on Shudder on January 20th of this year, directed by Eduardo Vitaletti. Now, this is his feature-length film debut, and I'll kind of give you my initial thoughts on this, my initial overview. Fairly spoiler-free as far as the, the things go on uh, on this show, but, uh, but then we are going to get into some spoiler territory. Uh, I thought... The last thing Mary saw was a movie that had, and a story, that had a lot of potential. Uh, Did it always meet that potential? I don't think so. This is marketed on Shudder as a horror film, and it didn't feel like there was a whole lot of horror in this. Although there were some bits of supernatural, some bits of horror, but nothing that ever really made me shiver, never brought a chill down the back of my spine. You know, there was some shock, uh, some revelations that it didn't do a whole lot for me. Now, where it lacked in some areas, this film really did well in other areas. First and foremost, the cast was outstanding in this film. I really enjoyed the the two leads, uh, Stephanie Scott, who plays the titular Mary, Isabel Furman, who plays Eleanor. Of course, you'll know her from The Orphan. Judith Roberts, plays the matriarch and she really kind of embodies that that creepy old woman that she plays to a, a T in this and of course she's no stranger to genre and speaking of uh, actors who are no stranger to genre Rory Calkin makes an appearance in this as the intruder uh, just some of the standout performers in this film uh, I think everyone did a really great job playing these period piece people this movie is set in New York in 1843 It's a Calvinist society. This is a Calvinist family. They are very strict and regimented. And while I've heard a lot of critics and reviewers talk about the patriarchy in this, this family is a very matriarchal family. And the Judith Roberts Uh, character is just goes by the matriarch. She's the grandmother of uh, Mary, and she is the one that calls the shots in this family. Now, as you'll know from watching the trailer and and reading any light synopsis of this movie, uh, you have Mary, who is the granddaughter of the matriarch. She lives in this household with her parents, her brother, her aunt and uncle, and their son. There is a maid, Eleanor, who is played by Isabel Furman. And then there is a guard of sorts. Now, what this family needs with a guard. Uh, on the edge of the property. Uh, It doesn't seem to be keeping anyone in. Is he there to keep people out? And if so, why? But these these are questions that we never really get any answers to. P.J. Sosko plays Theodore the guard. But Mary has this love affair with Eleanor. And, of course, in this time, in the mid-1800s, in a very strict religious Calvinist family, uh, this is a very taboo thing, a a lesbian relationship. And the film deals with how the family deals with this relationship. And and in not-so-good ways. We don't focus enough on the relationship for me to care all that much about it. I, I mean, I care just enough about these characters to not want to see them go through what they're going to, but I didn't care about these characters enough that their relationship meant anything because we only got very light scenes. Not that I needed to see graphic scenes of them uh, being in love, but but we just got we got simple little innocent bits of connection between the two. But it never really felt that strong enough to care about. You really felt more for these characters as they're being corrected by the matriarch and the rest of the family and correction. In in this this society and in this household consisted of kneeling on hardwood floors on bits of uncooked rice. And if you've ever been on your knees and had like a little pebble, it's that's excruciating. But to do this for, you know, who knows how long they had to do this. But uh, but they had to kneel on these hardwood floors on this uncooked hard rice and recite Bible verses or some religious text of some sort. And that is uh, that was the punishment as they called correction. I, I felt more connection to them uh, I felt more empathy towards them as they're going through that than I ever did with feeling any connection to them because of their relationship. Because like I said, the relationship really wasn't delved into enough. It was more of the family's reaction to the relationship that we got more of that. And, and this is a society where like everybody's a snitch uh, because everybody is so fervently guided by these myopic uh, religious principles that, you know, they're willing to rat anybody else just to show how pious they are. And, and we get a lot of that throughout this. And then it eventually turns into a, a tale of revenge with different, like, quasi-supernatural elements brought into the mix, but never fully explained, never fully fleshed out. And we'll kind of get into this a little deeper when we get into the spoilery section. But it, it ends as it begins. We... we we're in the present when this begins mary's being apprehended and questioned and the bulk of the movie is her essentially telling the story of what happened and we end up with her uh, after the interrogation and her fate and and we do finally get to see uh the last thing mary saw and it, it i suppose it should be touching uh, if it weren't for the fact that so many questions were left unanswered and I'm certainly not one of those people that really needs everything spelled out for me i've I've talked about this on on this show that you know there have been certain movies where I listen to other people talk about it and and they can't understand you know why why didn't they go into this deeper or why didn't they go into that deeper and I'm all about giving people just enough, to whet their appetite and then letting the mind wander as to where this part of the story went and where that part of the story went. But this didn't even give me enough for that. Uh, It just left so many questions unanswered the motivation for so many characters seemed non-existent so now we're kind of getting we're gonna get in a little deeper to this for anyone who hasn't seen the last thing mary saw and doesn't want things spoiled you should probably stop right now (laughs) but uh uh it it is worth a watch I, i won't say that it's a bad movie it had some good things about it the cast was amazing the look of the film was was stunning. The the set pieces were were really authentic. It, you felt like you were in this world. Uh, the visual lighting. You know, it was very minimalistic. It was a lot of candlelight. It felt like you were in this household with these people and not on a movie set. Uh, those were some of the great things about this. I, I thought the direction was was good. While the pacing seemed a little bit off, I thought the direction was really good. And I thought uh, for a first feature-length film for Eduardo Vitaletti, I thought this was a good first go for him. And I'm really excited to see more because I really like these kinds of films. It, it it borders on that full core, almost fable-y type of story. There's there's some supernatural elements. I would like him to dig a little deeper into that. I think this film suffered from not really knowing what it wanted to be. In some regards, it felt like it wanted to be something a little more house y It felt like it wanted to be something that spoke about religion and how religious persecution against uh, people that are, are viewed as different, in this case, a, a lesbian couple. I, I think it wanted to, to make a point about that, but it wanted to be horror. It wanted to be supernatural, but it didn't want to lend itself too much into that. I just don't think this film knew exactly what it wanted to be, and it tried to to ride the fence on what it wanted to be, and it just it didn't work in that regard. It was a good idea. I think there's a good basis for a really good story here. I just think it needed a little more fleshing out. It was only barely, not even an hour and a half. It was a 86-minute movie, so an hour and 26 minutes, and it could have it stood to be a, a little bit longer, even if it just gave us 15 more minutes to flesh out some of the other stories and to give us a little more backstory into the, the mythos of this, I think it would have served this movie very well. So if you haven't watched it, I encourage you to check it out and see, see how you feel about it. But, uh, but if you have watched it and you want to hear my thoughts on some of the more uh, specific details of this movie, uh, or if you don't care about spoilers, you know, keep listening by all, <laughs> by all means, but, but we are going to get into some spoiler territory right now. And you've, essentially heard my thoughts on this movie. Uh, We're going to dig a little deeper into some of the things that uh, I I don't, I think didn't work with this. And some of the things that I thought really could have used a a little bit more explanation because you've got this Calvinist family from the 19th century. We understand a little bit about who they are based on the interactions. And like I said, this is very much a matriarchal family. The matriarch, uh, the Judith Roberts character, Calls the shots here. Everybody defers to her. The father defers to her as to what to do about uh, her, his daughter, and the maid Eleanor and their relationship. And it's her who doles out the punishment. Uh, but we we don't know anything about these these characters personally because the father keeps referring to the fact that he brought this book that. That Mary has, and it's the book we talked about in the intro. It's a it's a unnamed book. Uh, we see three stories in this book, but I don't know if there are, are more. It's never really talked about, and the the book consists of stories that are the names of the three chapters of this, the three acts. Uh, the first is the Temple of Earthly Desires. That is the first story we hear, and it's it's essentially the arc of the first chapter of this. This movie. It's the relationship between Eleanor and Mary. It's a story about eating the forbidden fruit and facing God's wrath. The second story in this, which is the title of the second chapter A Monstrous Birth. Um, relates to Rory Culkin's character coming into the story, which uh, we'll talk about here in a little bit. And then, the, of course, the third chapter is the old lady of uh, Bethabara, which rounds out the story. And we'll, we'll talk about those stories as, as we get to those uh, various acts. But we've got this book that the, the father, Mary's father, talks about how he brought this book into the house, how he feels that this book has tempted her into having this uh, taboo relationship, this lesbian relationship with the maid, Eleanor. And he's afraid it's going to influence her into doing other things. The bulk of this story alludes to this book and it alludes to it in ways that almost make you feel that this book has some sort of power, but they never go into where the book came from. Uh, How did he come across this book? Why did he bring it into the house? Why does he feel bringing it to, to this house is going to spell doom for his family? Uh, Did he know it would spell doom for his family if he brought it in? Uh, Just left so many questions unanswered that would help uh, this story make a little more sense and give the things that are going on, especially with this book, a little more agency. There's a, a bit that happens at the very end where the The matriarch is talking to Mary about this book like she understands its power. So does she have some sort of connection with this book? Is she part of the reason why the father brought it into this house? What does she know about this book? Uh, there's just, like I said, a lot of questions left unanswered. There's a lot of questions left unanswered about the matriarch. Uh, like I said, uh, Judith Roberts, who by the way is the wife of the late Purnell Roberts who played trapper John MD in the what was it the, the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, he was also Adam Cartwright on the TV show Bonanza back in the day. but that's neither here nor there. But Judith Roberts plays this character of the matriarch uh, so well because she has such a commanding presence on the screen. Uh, she, you know, she comes across as kind of she can play that that creepiness, but she can also play that power. Uh, you believe that she is this matriarch that rules this family with an iron fist and what she says goes. And there are some scenes that give you reason to think there's something more to her, especially the scene when she catches Mary and Eleanor in the chicken coop. Uh, They're reading the book uh, in question. They're also, you know, making out. And like I said, you never really get any big scenes, like there's no big sex scene between the two, which you you don't need that. But this was probably one of the the best scenes where we got to see them being together, uh, being intimate together, just being together and being a couple, which was one of the things, the one of the few things that helped you uh, believe that this relationship was going on. And, and also I think the fact that Stephanie Scott who plays Mary and Isabel Furman who plays Eleanor. They've actually known each other for quite some time. They've worked together on various things. Uh, so they they do have a friendship and and that I think uh, helped these two actresses have a bond and have some chemistry on the screen which they did they you know for what little they allowed us to see of this relationship these two when they did have scenes together uh played it very well and made the relationship well it, it wasn't it didn't feel strong uh it didn't feel like there was that much of a connection from the written word that they're speaking the script that they're speaking uh the two made as much as they could out of of the time they had together on the screen. And I thought they did a really good job. But but there's this scene where they're in this chicken coop, uh, spending some alone time together. The matriarch finds them and... The lights go out, and then they come back on. And these are candles. These aren't flashlights or or electric or anything. These are candles that uh, went out and came back on. And then the matriarch has Eleanor in this suspended, like she's floating, and she puts her hand around her throat and it's like these two incision marks, and she makes it so she can't talk, cuts her larynx. I, I don't know. They, and and what, what in the hell is going on with Eleanor floating in the air? The matriarch has her floating in the air. So it's really kind of alluded to that she has some sort of powers. Is she a witch? um it'd be very hypocritical for her to uh chastise mary and eleanor for their relationship as sin and to be a witch in in this family where she's uh thumping the bible at. but they don't really go into that they don't really uh expand on what is going on with this matriarch character and who is she what i mean she obviously has some sort of powers judging by the finale, which again, we'll, we'll get to that here briefly, but there's just a lot of questions that have no answers. And this is where we kind of come into the second act, which is named a a monster's birth. And now they never read this story in the the book uh, that they're, they're reading from, uh, but we do see the woodcut uh, illustration of this. And it shows uh, a man with uh, half his face is kind of darkened, almost like a, a a birthmark. Now to get up to speed to this point in the movie, uh, the guard has given Eleanor and and Mary this this like black bean poison that she they put in the matriarch's tea and it kills her they're spending the day essentially it's a funeral for the matriarch she's laid out in the dining area everyone's dressed in black Uh, nobody speaks during this time of mourning during this this funeral service they tried out this poison on the chickens and and it worked so uh, all of a sudden we see this intruder character played by rory culkin Uh, He's got his half of his face covered. He comes and he's been summoned to bring chickens for the feast. He goes in the back where Eleanor is preparing the meal and he's speaking with her. Uh, helping her with the chickens, and he uh, recites uh, essentially what I imagine the story of a monstrous birth in this book, what it would be about how he was born with this birthmark. And they tried their own sort of corrections with him. A doctor tried to burn it off, and he kills his mother for letting these doctors and these priests do these horrible things to try and fix him and he he kills his mother and you got to imagine that is probably similar to what the story is and and you feel a little empathy for him and i think rory calkin uh, plays this part so well because he seems you know, all the Calkin kids, all the Calkin Kid actors are, are very charming and can play that that bit of charm and and you feel empathy for him because he's he's good at playing that that character. But then all of a sudden it turns dark because he realizes that Eleanor can't scream, she can't talk, and he rapes her there in the kitchen. After it's all said and done, she cuts off his finger. And he he runs off. We think to the last time we've seen him. But as this is going on, we've got the the scene with the family all standing around the the matriarch, and all of a sudden her finger starts to move, uh, and then it turns black, and it looks like. Mary's father is going to cut the finger. I don't know whether he's going to cut her to see if she's still alive, see if she feels pain, or just cut the finger off so it stops moving. You're never really sure exactly what his intentions are, but the finger stops moving uh, once they hear a noise from the kitchen with the rape going on there. But you know something is up with this matriarch because her finger starts to twitch like she's coming back to life. And then her finger turns black. There's no real reason for it. And, and I suppose it's for the callback later uh, that we never really get an understanding what it signifies. But then we move into the third act, the old lady of Bethabara. And here, Mary and Eleanor have poisoned the whole family. Uh, except for the father, which he was meant to be poisoned. Uh, actually, the her Mary's brother was the one that was supposed to be spared. But in in kind of that funny scene where the kid, nobody can tell him no because nobody can talk, and he just keeps putting spoonful of sugar after spoonful of sugar in his tea. And then the father just slams his hand on the on the table and then swaps his poison tea for the kids. Uh, sugar, sugary tea, his diabetes tea was kind of a a funny light moment in what was very, a very dour and very hopeless and bleak, bleak sort of movie. But the father's alive and and he keeps, keeps seeming like he wants to tell everybody about this book. He knows something about this book. And as it seems like he is about to tell Mary and Eleanor about this book, that he brought into the house that seems to be the cause of all the troubles that they're having. He gets shot and we find that the intruder, Rory Calkin's character, has come back with a gun. He shot Mary's father and he reloads and he's going to kill Eleanor who kind of moves off to the side uh, away from Mary so she's not hurt. And it's it's, it's very sad. It's such a, a tragic character this eleanor character because this whole time you know she's she's in love with a woman above her station uh she's in love with a girl above her station uh she knows that uh she is going to be punished time and again because they go through multiple corrections actually during the during the scene where the family is poisoned she is going through a correction all because she loves this girl mary Uh, she's going through all sorts of torment and pain because of this, but she's doing it because she loves her. Uh, She knows. And then they even talk about how uh, people are going to torment them for as long as they live. Even if they run away, they're going to be tormented. It comes across as she's tired. She's tired of it all. She's tired of people looking down on her She's tired of all the torment and punishment she has endured thus far. And, you know, just the the idea of all that she's going to go through in the future, it weighs on her. And it's almost like she is she's moved away from Mary so Mary doesn't get hurt because she knows she's going to be shot. And she's not at peace with it, but she's like, she's ready for it to end kind of thing which is is sad and it's tragic and and rory calkin's character the intruder shoots her and, and kills her and as as mary's holding eleanor and, and she asks who called for him, why, you know, who, who called for him to come there? Because it's kind of a mystery because they've been in mourning and he was called there with those chickens. So obviously he's somebody local chicken farmer. I've, I've heard people call him a a homeless man or no, he, he obviously owns chickens. That's why he was bringing chickens for them to eat. Uh, He's he's somebody from around, uh, but who, who called him to be there? And, and this isn't like, there were telephones back then. Uh, somebody had to plan in advance. Somebody had to send him a word, a letter, or was this some sort of uh, mental telepathy sort of calling? I, I don't know. They never really go into what is meant by that. But as Mary is saying, who, who called you to come here? Uh, the (laughs) it's it really you could see it coming a mile away which was a, a failing i think on the movie's part but you see mary in the foreground you see the matriarch's casket in the background out of focus and the matriarch sits up like i said you you could see it coming a mile away because they've already set up the The supernatural elements, you don't know why she's supernatural. You don't know uh, to what degree she has some supernatural power, but she does and you knew that was coming. And then the matriarch uh, has this scene with Mary that also leads to a bit of the confusion of all this. What does this matriarch know about this book? Because she talks about the old lady of Bethabara and has... Mary recite the story. And, it, you know, the story goes that a noble woman and a servant woman were having an affair. They were caught naked in a river. Uh, by, they were caught by an old lady. Uh, the two women came out of the water, killed her, uh, so she wouldn't mention the deed. Uh, when they returned to the riverbank the next day, the old woman was alive. She kills the servant and blinds the noble woman and she tells mary that they must draw inspiration from the book in their story and of course the servant woman is dead so she uh, blinds mary pops out her eyes uh, essentially blinds her uh, with her bare hands so it, it just leaves so many questions as to what the matriarch knew of this book uh, you know she she caught mary and eleanor so she would have flipped through the book i'm sure she's seen this story uh, but How much of it did she know beforehand? Like I said, what sort of supernatural elements make up this character? Yeah, it seemed like things were planned out, but how could they have been planned out? It's just, like I said, so many questions as to the whether twos and the why fours that just were left unanswered that makes things, you know, I'm all about. Like I said, you don't have to explain everything. But in this case, nothing was explained and there's no rhyme or reason as to why things happened the way they did. And if we could have just got a little bit more information as to what the matriarch is, uh, why the matriarch is, this book, what is this all about? Uh, there's just nothing, not even a red herring to make you wonder or, or think about what this could even be or, or any guess as to what this could even be. <laughs> I love the, the next scene where the the townsman, uh, the constable and these other guys show up and they're going through the house and they've got the, the constable has this long rifle, this musket, and he's got his lantern hanging from the the end of the barrel of the musket—it just—it it made me think of like you know SWAT teams and and the the more modern day rifles that have the the flashlight on it. It just kind of reminded me of that, and it just seemed like a uh, such a an odd thing. It's something I've never seen in all the period pieces I have seen. Um, I've never seen anybody hang a lantern from their rifle like that in them. It, it felt like such a modern day thing, uh, but to see it done in an 1800 setting, it just, I don't know why, it just made me chuckle a little bit. But uh, they find Mary, and Mary, we, we hear this tune that the matriarch is humming. It's a very dark and foreboding sounding tune that she hums throughout this movie, we hear that humming again Uh, as these guys are are moving up the stairs to wherever they're hearing this humming coming from. And the closer they get, the more it turns from sounding like the matriarch to sounding like Mary humming this tune. And Mary is in a rocking chair. She's humming this tune and her eyes have been gouged out and they take her into custody. And that's, you know, that kind of bookends where we, at the beginning of this movie, she's being interrogated and and it very much spoke to that day where or even, you know, prior to that, the 1700s and the 1600s when uh, the Salem witch trials and, and all that were going on, uh, any woman who stepped out of line was accused of witchcraft. And that's what she's being accused of is, is witchcraft and being uh, in consort with the devil. And they ask her to recite the Lord's Prayer. And these two guards uh, aim their muskets at her because uh, if she can't say it because the devil won't let her, they were going to shoot her. And when she does recite the lord's prayer they lower their rifles hesitantly almost disappointed that they didn't get the shooter it was uh it it spoke like i said volumes to the time and and what some women had to go through in those times but but we end where we started with her Uh, recounting this tale of what happened to this constable, who seems like a sympathetic character. Uh, You know, everybody else is like, you know, we should hang her right away. Don't even give her a trial. Why should we hear the evil that she's going to spew? And he's like, we've got to hear what she has to say. Now, granted, uh, any sympathies he had towards Mary uh, didn't matter because they end up hanging her at the end. But it has a, a bit of a a sentimental ending because the movie title, The Last Thing Mary Saw, it's not so much what she saw with her physical eyes, but before she's about to be hanged, she sees in her mind's eye, an image of Eleanor smiling at her. And and it's very sweet and it's very sad. uh, And then she gets hung. But the thing of it is after everybody's left and she's hanging there swinging from this tree branch, uh, we see the camera pan in from behind and focus on her hand, and her finger has turned black, and it starts to tap, just like the matriarchs. Or again, we don't know what that signifies. Um, does it signify that the matriarch, we never hear whether they found the matriarch dead or not. Uh, we never see her again after she gouges out Mary's eyes. Did the Matriarch, was she involved in some sort of witchcraft and did some sort of soul transference like they do in the Skeleton Key or in Get Out? Did she do some sort of number like that? Is Mary part of a long line of... Practitioners of some sort of dark arts that gave the matriarch her powers. There's just no answer to this because there were no clues really ever given. Nothing in so much that we could derive anything tangible from it. So yeah, there were a lot of things that I really liked about this movie. I I loved the cast. I thought the cast was probably one of the the bright points of this. Uh, Like I said, Stephanie Scott played Mary excellently. Uh, Isabel Furman as eleanor was just she she's the she's a steen's scene stealer type they both uh played this relationship for what they were allowed to do what the script uh, allowed them to do uh they played the relationship well you believed it enough to to care enough about these characters uh, and what was happening to them uh, Judith Roberts was a rock star she she imbued all the creepiness and all of the power that this matriarch wielded in in just a, a facial expression she just did a really good job and like I said the rest of the cast Rory calkin was absolutely fabulous in in playing this intruder uh he he felt sympathetic when you needed him to be uh when you weren't sure of his uh his dastardly intentions and then when the switch was flipped you you hated his guts because he turned into a monster uh not in the traditional sense but in the human sense. And, and then everybody from top to bottom on this cast list, uh, they did a, just an excellent job. Even even the kind of the secondary, the husband and wife, the mother and father, uh, the aunt and uncle, uh, the the brother the cousin they all played their parts very well they were all believable in this this 1800s this 1843 setting uh, the guy that played uh, Theodore the guard uh, P J uh, Sosco did an excellent job he was another one where you you felt you felt empathy for him because he was a tragic character he was kind of stuck there because he tried to escape but they found him and that's why these two girls couldn't just leave they knew they would be found. They knew they would be brought back. They knew they would be punished, much like Theodore was punished and and had his leg uh, broken. And he had this great line about they're all trapped there by fear and weakness, which spoke a lot to why these these two girls couldn't just, they couldn't just up and leave because they would have been found. But the cast was stellar. The cinematography, the cinematographer, David Cruda, uh, did a fantastic job. The look of this movie was out of sight. It just had, I, I don't know whether it was in the the digital grading or or what. It just had a, a very uh, natural natural look to it. Uh, the lighting was was spot on for the period. You felt like you were in this world with all the, you know, rooms being lit by candlelight or lantern light. Uh, They didn't, you know, you didn't get the big Hollywood lights that felt like you were on a soundstage and not in an actual home. Uh, The costume design, the set design was just all very, very good Uh, as far as the period goes. uh, It really looked like you were in this home with this family in 1843. The music uh, was really good. Uh, Keegan DeWitt, Uh, did the music for this and the scores, it it really added to what, you know, I've heard a lot of people talk about this is all atmosphere. It didn't, I mean, it had a great atmosphere for a period piece. It it didn't really hit with atmosphere as far as a a horror movie goes. Uh, It just, I didn't really get any sense of foreboding or impending doom that you would get in a horror movie. But you did feel the atmosphere of this strict, tight-knit family. Uh, I've heard claustrophobic being used to describe this, this family and this, this setting. Uh, I, I think that's a good way to put it. It felt very claustrophobic. I think the movie played into that as far as atmosphere goes. But yeah, I really didn't get the atmospheric uh, feel that you would get from, say, something like The Witch or the atmosphere you get from uh, the wasteland that we just talked about here a couple episodes ago. Uh, those, those had great great horror atmosphere. You felt uh, like something was lurking around the corner. You felt like there was some evil presence. This The evil presence wasn't from an outside force. It was from within, and it didn't feel very dark and threatening. It felt like, oh, I'm gonna get in trouble. But there really wasn't an atmosphere of, like I said, impending doom or this foreboding feeling of evil uh, surrounding the place. So that, again, was another instance where uh, I thought it kind of missed the mark. In, in the atmosphere category. But like I said, music, uh, the look, even the direction. I thought the direction was good. I just think the story uh, is where things lacked in this movie. And not that it wasn't a good idea. Uh, Eduardo Vitaletti wrote this as well. And I, I think it was a good start to a movie. Like I said, I just think it needed about 15, 15 more minutes just to to give you a little time to explain a few things, I, like I said, you don't have to go into great detail, but just give us something, some reason. Uh, I've heard interviews where he he drew on a lot of mythology, uh, both uh, you know uh, Greek and pagan and and, and other, you know, Christianity, all this, all the stuff to to kind of create what's going on here, but. I, I never really drew any connections because nothing was ever really explained well enough as to, oh, well, this is from that or or this is what they're talking about. This is what this means. This black finger uh, tapping away on a dead person. That's, it, it means something. I know it means something, but I don't, I don't have any clue what because there was no visual cues or there was no exposition that kind of gave me a hint as to what this is all about. So all in all, It's not a terrible movie. It's not an unwatchable movie by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, It's got a lot of interesting characters, great acting. Uh, It's got a fantastic look. While it doesn't have a horror film feel to it, it does have a feel to it that is not unenjoyable. And for only being uh, an hour and 26 minutes, it does go by pretty slow. It's a, it's a pretty slow moving movie. I've, I've heard some people uh, call it a slow burn. Uh, I've I've watched slow burn movies, and I you know I know a lot of people bounce that term around. Uh, this this is a slow burn that never really ignites. Uh, you know. Some of the movies, one of the more recent ones, like I talked about, The Wasteland, was a slow burn movie, but the end exploded into, you know, what we saw. And this, you never really got that. Um, You got the slow burn, but it never ignited into a blaze. But like I said, still enjoyable to watch. Just after you're done, you're going to be like, well, what the hell was that all about? (laughs) What the hell? What the hell does that mean? it, It really didn't land on anything it felt a little too much. And, uh, you know, call this a hot take or whatever you want to call it, whatever the kids call it these days, but it felt like 1800s, uh, lesbian torture porn, because we spent this whole time just talking about these two girls being lesbians and never really delving enough into their relationship and their connection. Uh, just the, uh, the shock and awe of the family members that, that they're touching each other and all these scenes of them being corrected and going through the torture of, of this uh, strict puritanical uh, religious zealousy. And then it had a few minor bits of supernaturalness and a couple minor scenes of horror in it dotted here and there (laughs) like i said don't get me wrong you should still give it a watch and see for yourself but it it definitely is a movie that uh, it could have been so much more it could have said more about religion and and its reaction to things that it doesn't agree with but it doesn't say much more than than what you see if anything if there was a theme to this i think if there was a message that could be derived from this I think it would be the old saying that it's often attributed to Confucius, but uh, before you uh, embark on a journey of revenge, dig two graves. I think it's probably the the biggest thing that you could draw from this story because uh, Mary and Eleanor, uh, more so Mary. Uh, I think Eleanor just wants to leave, but uh, I think Mary is, is upset with her family uh, and, and hatred does this. Hatred, on one side can infect another side. We see this in politics. We see this in religion. We see this in in all sorts of facets of our everyday life where one side is is hateful and the other side, well, maybe just uh, they get infected by that hate and feel that they've got to strike back. And, and that's what happens here. And then nobody wins in the end. In this case, the this family had this hate in their heart. In spite of the fact of following a religion that preaches love, they had this hate in their heart for their daughter uh, or, or for Mary, this this girl in the family and the woman that she was in love with. They had this hatred for them because they were different from what uh, they believed was, was right and righteous. And that hatred infected Mary and Eleanor to the point where they were going to get back at them, get back at all them for all the, quote unquote, correction they had to endure, the torture that they had to endure. And they were going to poison them and kill them for their hatred. And, and there again, uh, in, in, hatred infected the family that passed on to them. They retaliated and everybody ended up dying in the end. That's not to say turn the other cheek. That's not to say let people abuse you and treat you horribly. But for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So, you, you know, you really have to temper how you how you react to things. Because if you go off half-cocked and, and just do what comes natural, in this case, uh, the most natural thing is uh, they tortured us. We're going to kill them. Don't be surprised. You know, like the, the old saying, live by the sword, die by the sword. If there was any sort of theme or any sort of message that was even remotely clear or even remotely landed, I think it would be that message. So not a great movie, but certainly not an unwatchable movie and certainly a movie that you should at least give it a watch. Maybe you'll see something that I didn't. Maybe something will land a little better than it did with me. There's enough things to like about this movie that the things that I didn't like didn't outweigh them to the point where I wish I hadn't watched it. I'm glad I watched it. Uh, Will I watch it again? Probably not. Will I be looking out for the sequel, The Last Thing That Mary Saw Part 2, Mary Rises Again? Uh, probably not. I won't be looking for that. But but I am glad I watched it. It was an enjoyable enough watch to uh, to at least say that. So I want to thank everyone for tuning in and listening to my thoughts on The Last Thing Mary Saw. Remember to check out our Facebook fan page, Odds Bodkins Curiosity Shop, for all the upcoming episodes of the show. We're going to talk about uh, more things in the future. There's a lot of stuff going on uh, that, uh, that were, you know, a lot of shows going on right now now that kind of waiting for some finales so we can talk about them a lot of movies coming out so lots more to discuss and delve into uh, on the show and uh, you can stay on top of what's coming up next at our facebook fan page always posting uh, trailers and articles from various sources throughout the internet on the horror fantasy and sci-fi that we all love and my thoughts and comments so uh, check it all out on our facebook fan page odds bodkins curiosity shop and don't forget to wherever you're listening to this podcast subscribe leave a review share it all that good stuff if you leave a review five stars would be awesome but whatever review you give us uh we certainly appreciate your feedback but again uh subscribe download and share this podcast with the people you know that love horror fantasy and sci-fi so until next time